Our speaker this morning in some ways needs no introduction. Many of you already know Dwayne Klein, the pastor of James North Baptist Church. He has been the pastor of James North for 27 years. He was just a young guy and good-looking back then <laughs> when he first came. And uh, the church had 35 people in it. It was almost ready to close. And the Lord has used Dwayne in a wonderful way. And now all these years later, last Sunday morning, they had almost 500 people at James North. Praise God. <laughs> Dwayne has led that church through uh, radical change, uh, including a change of name because it used to be called Houston Street Baptist Church. I've known Dwayne for about 20 years now, and he's been an encouragement to me all along the way. As a matter of fact, Dwayne was in touch with me prior to my coming to West Highland and was trying to twist my arm to come to Hamilton, and he succeeded. So Dwayne is known not just uh, in our city, uh, broadly within our city, but he's known all across the nation as he's a conference speaker at many different events across the land. The Lord has used him in a wonderful way. He's a good friend of West Highland. In some ways, I think we should give him an honorary church membership here. <laughs> so would you please welcome Dwayne Klein, pastor of James Street North. <laughs> for a So happy 50th anniversary to West Highland. Uh, I have been good friends with John and Andrea for a number of years. Uh, years ago, I went to John when he was in Toronto at Morningstar and said, would you be willing to have me come to a staff meeting as we're beginning to have multiple staff and just teach me what this might look like? And he graciously had me come in uh, for a staff meeting and then had me come in to their home one time when he was leading a retreat. And then when Mark and Ian had started with us, had me come in there and just birthed a wonderful friendship. And I know I'm friends with many of you here, and many of you are partners with us. So happy 50th anniversary, West Highland. Um, at James North right now, we have three congregations meeting in our new facility downtown. So through the pandemic, we moved into our new facility, $22 million, and the Lord has provided just over $21 million. And we're so thankful for his provision. And... Uh, so thankful for what he's, for what he's done. Uh, we moved 45 people because it includes 45 apartments in our building for people that had nowhere to live. And so 49 people have moved into those apartments and we work alongside of them with an organization called Indwell. Um, we also have a Brazilian congregation that we launched just recently in the spring with about 60 or 70 people meeting now every Saturday night and a Brazilian planter that's come up from uh, Brazil with a gentleman at our church, Marcio Silva, who's been on staff with us 14 years. And then we've worked with the Karen people. They're the people from Burma that were being exterminated um, by their own government, ended up in Thailand in refugee camps. And many of them, like Klose, who's now on staff with us, 49 years old, first 35 years of his life, no running water, no sanitation, no electricity. Never passed a grade 7 education. And he's just finished. We, we cover his salary and we pay for him to go to Heritage. Just finished his first year at Heritage College and Seminary. And he's working as a pastoral intern at their church. And we're so excited about what God's doing there. And then lots of ministries still for the poor and marginalized. So on behalf of James North, thank you for journeying with us. And I bring you greetings from them. Let me pray. You are a good God. And we gather today now to turn our attention to your word. We pray, God, that you would guide us as we do so. Spirit of God, we can't understand your word um, without you. We just can't do it. So open our eyes to your truth today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. 
You've already read the text for this morning. I heard that John preached from 1 Corinthians 15 last week. I sent my notes a while ago. I had no clue he was doing that. So at the end of the service, there'll be a survey to see who did a better job. Um, I'm kidding. But we live in a dark day, don't we? I mean, we live in an incredibly dark day. We live in a day where we're told that our morals as Christians, our morals are unethical, that they're dangerous. We're told that we believe in two genders, that there aren't two, that there's many more. In fact, if you Google genders in Canada, because our Canadian government said earlier uh, this year, actually just the end of last year, uh, in a preamble to a bill that there are no genders, gender is myth and stereotype, you get anywhere between 58 and 72 genders in Canada. In the academy, Christianity is in a dark place. Philosopher Jim Holt, in one of his famed TED Talks, over 10 million views on it, speaking of the origin of the universe. In our culture, wanting to determine, or at least to suggest that God doesn't exist and not want to live in a place where they believe that God exists, they'll go to any extent to prove it. So firstly, in his TED Talk, he goes at the possibility of God doing it and makes fun of that. Then in his TED Talk, he goes at many, much of the evolutionary theory and he pokes fun at it. And then this is his conclusion to a standing ovation at a TED Talk. I quote, the resolution to the mystery of, the, of existence is that we exist in one of the possible genetic realities because reality has to turn out some way. It could either turn out to be nothing or everything or something in between. So if it had a special feature, being really eloquent or really full, that would require an explanation. But if it's one of these random generic realities, there's no further explanation for it. That's what science is telling us. What? That's your answer, that you don't need to give an answer. I mean, I mean, what he's saying is ultimately that there's a multiverse, and because there's a multiverse, the universe had to turn out some way, it turned out this way, he doesn't need to explain anything else. And everybody stood and applauded, and I said, he just took his whole theory from the Avengers, and you're thinking it's great. Like, he's like, oh yeah, I saw this in a movie, I'm going to write about it, and everybody went, woo! That's where we're at. That's how... That's how ludicrous our culture has moved. In fact, you've all know Harari, who wrote the book, the bestseller, A Brief History of Tomorrow. In his TED Talk, he said, because believing in God didn't work because there is no God, we then believed in humanity, and that didn't work because we're a mess. And so he said, the hero of history will be a machine. Like, what? And he goes on to say, because Google knows you better than you know yourself. Now, for some people, that might be dangerously true, but... But he, machine's not going to be here. He goes on to explain the various algorithms and how because of the algorithms that the computer can read and understand and know that it will be the hero of history. And then you go to the poets, the artists of today. And as you listen to their lyrics, you hear their pain. You hear the pain of what they're going through in a universe that says there are no morals. There are no genders. This book is dangerous. What Christians believe is unethical. We can't explain the origin of the universe, but certainly we're not going to believe it's a supreme being. And this is what our poets say. This is Sean Mendes. Lying on the bathroom floor, feeling nothing. I'm overwhelmed and insecure. Give me something. I'm not going to sing it. I could take to ease my mind. Uh, give me something. I could take to ease my mind slowly. Just have a drink. You'll feel better. 
Just take her home and you'll feel better. Keep telling me it gets better. Does it ever? Help me. It's like the walls are caving in. Sometimes I feel like giving up. No medicine is strong enough. Someone help me. I'm crawling in my skin. Sometimes I feel like giving up. I'm looking through my phone again, feeling anxious. I'm afraid to be alone again. I hate this. I'm trying to find a way to chill. Can't breathe. Oh, is there someone? Is there someone? Demi Lovato. I tried to talk to my piano. I tried to talk to my guitar. I talked to my imagination. I confided in alcohol. I tried and tried and tried some more, told secrets till my voice was sore. Tired of empty conversation because no one hears me anymore. A hundred million stories and a hundred million songs. I feel stupid when I sing. No one's listened to me. Nobody's listening. I talk to shooting stars, but they always get it wrong. I feel stupid when I pray. So why am I praying anyway? If nobody's listening, anyone, please send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. Anyone, send me anyone. Lord, is there anyone? I need someone. And so this culture that's emerging under me, 25 years of age and under, believe they can cancel anyone that they disagree with. And they do. On Instagram or TikTok, Snapchat, they'll cancel whoever they want. If they don't agree with you, they will cancel you. They believe they can create themselves. They're being taught that they can actually create themselves. And so there are whole groups out there that call themselves furries as a gender. They believe they're animal-like. They're petitioning places in Canada for litter boxes. So there could be litter boxes in places for them to use the bathroom. That's how far we've gone. They have no concept of sin and no belief in consequence because of it. And they don't experience guilt the way that my generation and above has experienced guilt. So West Highland, how do you survive that the next 50 years? Well, the way you survived the last 50. In our text, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, but it is preached that Christ has been raised, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can you say there is no resurrection of the dead. You see, the Sadducees believed there was no resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believed there was resurrection of the dead, but at the end of time, no one, no one believed that someone would be resurrected in the middle of time, before history had ended. That concept was unheard of, unimaginable. No one thought that someone could be resurrected in the midst of time, before the end of the world. The Pharisees believed it would come at the end. The Sadducees believed it wouldn't come at all. But Paul here is saying, we know that Christ has been raised from the dead. And if he's been raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead. That is good news, isn't it? It is good news. I woke up this morning at 520. I had pain just, just reeling through my body from my sciatica. I've had sciatica for a few years. And it affects me. I mean, the doctors have told me what to do. Lose weight. And I've been working on it. Um, the, the, the last doctor I was with said, you need abs. And I said to him, you know, I said to Amy, I mean, you've never married a guy with abs. I mean, you don't want a guy with abs. She said, I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> so we, we, I've been cycling back and forth to the gym, and she comes with me four mornings a week. Now we go to the gym. We cycle from our house nine kilometers to the Crunch in Westdale and cycle back. It's a, it's, a lot, it's a lot of fun. But I can't wait for the day in a resurrected body where I don't experience sciatica. Where it's something that I, that I don't feel, where there's no pain just reeling through my body. I feel it constantly. 
And I can't wait for the day where it's just simply gone. Why? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. And so it's one of the things that we can declare, that our Savior indeed is alive. He's not in a tomb. But there are consequences of resurrectionless, and Paul goes through them. He says this in verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He said, if we're not raised, if you don't believe that you will be raised, then Christ hasn't been raised. If you don't believe that you will one day be raised in bodily form, then certainly Jesus has not been raised. He says our efforts and faith are futile. Verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Why would you stand here and tell anyone about the Lord? Why would you talk about a hope we can have in him? Why would you explain the gospel in any way? It's just futile. All of those words are futile if Christ has not been raised. And so is your faith. It's a waste of time to gather in community groups. It's a waste of time to be in an orchestra. It's a waste of money to give to an organization that is meaningless if Christ has not been raised to life again. It's just a waste. That's how important, that's how critical the resurrection is. He says, your faith is futile. What you've believed in, it's just futility. If Christ hasn't been raised, the world is right. If Christ hasn't been raised, the world is right. More than that, he says, you've lied about God. Verse 15, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. I mean, Paul is speaking to a culture that still believes in a superior being. And if you do any study in the world, around the world, our world believes in a superior being. The Western mind doesn't. But most of the world does. You go to India. You travel to any parts of Africa. You spend time in South America, Central America. And most of our world, the majority of our world, believes in a supreme being. Now, we believe that being is our Father, God the Father. God the Son came, God the Spirit in us. This triune being whom we celebrate and worship for his work in our lives. But Paul's saying, if Jesus didn't rise to life again, then you're lying about God. Because you're testifying that this being raised Christ to life again. And if he didn't, oh, you're in a lot of trouble because you're lying about the supreme being. You're lying about God. And then lastly, he says this, if Christ didn't rise to life again, we are hopeless fools. We are hopeless fools. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He says your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You're unsaved. You don't know God. You can't know God if Christ isn't raised to life again. If you're saying that your connection to God is through the accomplished work of Christ and his shed blood, and he hasn't been raised to life again, his accomplished work is not accomplished, and his shed blood was for naught. If he hasn't been raised to life again. And then he says this. He says you're lost. You're the people telling everyone to be found, but you're actually lost. You're lost. You should go listen to the Mormons. They weren't around then. You should go listen to the JWs. 
you, you should go and find someone else out there. Go listen to the Hindus, the Buddhists. If Christ hasn't been raised to life again. And then he says this. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know, I have people that will come to me well-intentioned and say, you know, well, if this isn't true, pastor, I'd rather live as a Christian and find out it's not true than live as a non-Christian anyway. I'm like, what? Like all these wasted hours, all this wasted money, why would you forgive someone? Why would you help someone? Why would you at your expense do anything if this isn't real? Now, I, I'm not saying that there aren't non-believers who do, don't do good things. They, they do. But we're driven by our faith, aren't we? A higher calling, a higher... And he says, if this isn't real, man, you should go and sleep with as many people as you can. You should give your money to something else. You should spend your time on the golf course. Well, if you can golf. If not, tennis court, whatever you want. He's saying, if only in this life you're hoping for something that isn't there, then you're to be pitied more than anyone else. You're a fool. You're a fool. That's how strong Paul argues for the resurrection from the dead. That's how strongly Paul argues that we will be raised to life again, and it all hinges on the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Is that not good news? He is the firstfruits of all who die, who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection from the dead comes through a man. Why Jesus? Why didn't God do something else? Why did God the Son have to incarnate himself and live among us and die for our sin? Why Jesus? Well, Paul says it right here. Death came through a man, through Adam. Adam and Eve created perfectly in the Garden of Eden. The only people I believe that had true free choice right there in the garden. And they chose to sin and rebel against God. Now, people tell me all the time, my son said, I love my son, he's 21, said to me one time, you know, Dad, if I was Adam, I'm like, stop right there. I know you. If you were Adam, you'd have done worse, right? Somehow, we would be more than totally depraved if it was you, son. I don't know how that's possible, but I'm convinced it's true. He's like, what? I'm like, I love you, but I love you and Jesus more. So anyway, many people will say to me all the time, they'll, they'll say things like, you know, if I was Adam, no, stop. Adam was our perfect representative, and Adam sinned. So because Adam sinned, humanity deserved damnation, separation from, from God, couldn't enter into his presence. But because of God's great love for us, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, his son came. Because human beings had sinned, human beings had to die. But no one, no one could absorb the wrath of God. No one could. Except God himself. Except God himself. And so he incarnated himself. Jesus born in poor beginnings, placed in a manger, right? He's born among the animals, 
He dies among the criminals for us. For us. He lived a sinless life. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And he kept the law in two ways. One of the ways he kept the law is this, or, 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 or fulfilled the law, is he never broke the law in any way. So he fulfilled the law because he never broke the law in any way. The other way he fulfilled the law is every messianic promise in all of the Old Testament was about him. Is that not great news? So he fulfilled the law perfectly. He lived a sinless life. And at the end of his life, he endured the wrath of the Father on the cross. As a human being, he was our representative. And as God on that cross, because he was fully God, he could absorb the wrath of the Father coming upon him. And then he dies. But three days later... Because sin couldn't accuse him. Because Satan couldn't defeat him. Because death could not own him. Three days later, he was raised to life again. He's alive now and forevermore. He is the first fruits, and we will join him. It is great news. And what do we have in our lives? At some point, when we move from darkness to light, we have this aha moment. Of who Jesus is. Is it not great news? If you're saved here today, if, if God has saved you already, you've met the risen Savior. Praise his name. You've met the risen Lord. And his spirit is in you. And it's an aha moment where you realize all of a sudden that all the darkness that around you truly is darkness. That which you thought was light isn't. And the light of the gospel breaks into your heart and saves you. Realize how great a Savior he is. So before Amy joined me at the gym, I was there one day and I was frustrated about how my working out consistently and faithfully and hard wasn't producing the results I had intended. So I googled good workout routines and I learned push-pull legs. Well, I cycled to the gym because I haven't been able to run in a while and I thought, okay, my legs are okay. Um, and I was pushing on stuff in the gym, but I hadn't pulled on anything. So that morning I'm looking at all kinds of objects I can pull on and I found a bunch of machines that you pull on. And finally, I see a chin-up bar. And I think to myself, I'm going to do it. 6.30 in the morning, 150 machines, five of us in the gym. And I jump up and I grab the chin-up bar. And nothing. <laughs> nothing happens. And so I realize that there's a counterweight. I get down, I put the counterweight at 30 pounds. I realize that after that would do nothing too. And I jump back up and nothing. And so I'm hanging there. And now there's two young men standing beside me. And almost the worst thing that could ever happen in a gym happens, they speak to me. <laughs> They're 19 years old, they are maybe 120 pounds, and the kid looks at me and he says, Sir, I'm like, oh. <laughs> he says, are you okay? And I said, I think I'm fine. And his friend says, you don't look fine. <laughs> he says, you're actually quite red, your veins are all, I'm like, oh. He says, do you want some help? I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. So I get off the machine, I said, I'm okay. And they said, let me show you how this kid just jumps up. I'm like, one, two, three, four. I'm like, stop. Like, you know, I think I could bench you too. Um, but there was this great aha moment for me that week. Push, pull legs. I needed to do more than just the one thing I was doing at the gym. My wife says it still isn't helping the way she'd like, but it's, it's coming. <laughs> and when we meet the risen Savior, we have an aha moment. This moment where I realized that what we thought was light was actually darkness, and what is light is beautiful. That his glorious presence itself is good news, isn't it? That we get to enjoy him forever and ever. Amen. I love this line. Tim Keller said this. God, this is the cross, God needed a way of destroying evil without destroying us. Is that not a great line? 
God needed a way of destroying evil without destroying us. And so God loves to save. Through the work of his son, he loves to save. As we've worked with the Karen for some time and we've walked alongside of them, one of the things that happened when they came to Canada is many of their young people went to their parents who are agrarian and, uh, and worked in agriculture. And when they were in Thailand, they weren't allowed to leave there. You'd be handed a bag of rice every month for your family. And whatever you could, you could uh, uh, um, garden, whatever you could garden in the bag of rice was all you had to eat. So whatever you could grow, and that bag of rice was it. And most of these kids went to refugee camp to grade 7. And uh, as they were going through this, they'd come home and say, our teachers at school say, God doesn't exist. Why do you believe God exists? And the parents would say, because we do. Kids would say, not good enough. And they walked away from the faith. Why do you believe the Bible's God's word? Because we do. Kids would walk away from their faith. So all of these Karen youths walked away from their, their, their faith. Just abandoned it. And it created havoc in the families. All kinds of drugs and sex and alcohol and mess. And then one day I was preaching there. We preached there a couple of times a month in this congregation. And I, I'm there preaching. This before we were training close We still preached there twice a month. So three and a half years ago, a young man sitting at the back in our old church building. And he's just weeping. And he used to come to Bible studies I ran years ago when he was 17. He's 23 at the time. At the end of the service, he came up to me and said, Pastor, I was speaking on this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, Pastor, God spoke to me today. I need him. Do you have time to meet with me this week? I said, of course. I said, do you have time tomorrow? He said, sure. So the next day he came to my office. We sat and we met and I just looked at him and I said, Wally, Wally's his name. He's written this, his testimony. He said, Pastor, I came to the church yesterday to say goodbye to everyone because my life has ended up being such a mess and I was going to go home and end it. And he said, during the message, the Lord spoke to me. Can he love me still? Can he love me from all of my mess? Can he love me in spite of all of my sin? And we just walked through the gospel that afternoon. He just wept in my office and asked God for forgiveness. He just called out sin and repented of it and renounced it in Jesus' name. He says in his testimony, I walked out to my car. I got in and for the first time in years I put on worship music. And I listened and it was as if God's spirit in that moment had just entered me. And I felt his spirit lift my spirit. And I just rejoiced in what God was doing. And I realized as I was driving home, I'd met with the risen Lord. Amen? That's not a hard moment in life when you realize he's alive. He's not dead. Our Savior is alive. Listen, there's all kinds of proof for the resurrections. Just let me give you four. One, no one expected it. No one expected it. Where were all of the Christians? They were hiding. The disciples were hiding. They were in a room. They weren't expecting Jesus to come back to life again. No one expected it. Two, the women were the key witnesses. You couldn't accept a woman's witness in court in those days. Their testimony was inadmissible. If you're going to fabricate a story, you're not going to make the women the key witnesses. There's no way you're going to do that. But that's what God did in his brilliance. In fact, it talks about the, gospels, the gospel writers talk about various people who saw the resurrection. Why? They're saying, you can go talk to them. You can go speak to them. You can go meet with them. These people are still alive, and they saw the risen Savior. Number three, a body couldn't be produced. A body couldn't be produced. 
When they were declaring he was alive, no one could come and say, here's the body. The Romans didn't take it. The disciples didn't hide it. They're not going to die for some lie. In fact, if on the day of Pentecost, when Peter is preaching, and 3,000 people had come to faith in Christ, his body would have been preserved in such a way that though it was decaying, it would have been recognizable. If the Romans had it, all they had to do was show up with the body and say, here is your Jesus. He is dead, not alive. But they couldn't do it because he indeed is alive. And I believe the greatest proof of the resurrection is this. A great following ensued. If you read and study religion around the world, you'll find this. No religion moves far from its place of origin. No religion moves far from its place of origin, except for migration. So where do the most Muslims live? Near the place of origin. Where do the most Hindus live? Near the place of origin. Where do the most Buddhists live? Near the place of origin. What's the one exception? There's only one exception. Christianity. Christianity is that exception. I mean, do the most Christians of the world right now live near the place of origin? Not at all. Because God has chosen in his brilliance to save people from every language, custom, culture, and tribe. Look at these stats. This is incredible. In 1970, there were 271 million believers in Latin America. In 2021, there were 617 million. In 1970, there were 96 million believers in Asia. In 2021, there were 383 million. In 1970, there were 140 million believers in Africa. In 2021, there were 685 million. How has this gospel moved from the Middle East to, 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 to Europe, to North America, to Asia, and South America, and Central America, and Africa? How? Because the one, the pioneer of this movement is not dead. He's alive. And as he is moving around this world, he's saving people from every language and custom and culture and tribe. Is that not good news? He is this great God. And Jesus is alive. He's reigning now and forevermore. So what does that mean for West Highland on your anniversary for the next 50 years? When there's a culture coming up under us that believes they can create themselves and they could cancel anyone they want, who holds up values of justice and diversity and environment and acceptance, who don't experience guilt for sin, and that shouldn't surprise us. Romans 7, what does Paul say? He would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So if they're not taught the law, they don't know what the law is, so they experience no guilt for their sin. So some of us want to retreat. Some of us want to hide. Some of us want to disengage. But listen to this, and I'll close. You see, when they create themselves to be this person that they can't live up to, they experience this great guilt because they've created a persona that they can't actually live up to. And so now they're experiencing this great guilt. Your children, your grandchildren, this is what they're going through because they've created something they can't live up to. And their greatest fear, their greatest fear is being canceled themselves. They'll cancel everybody else, but they fear being canceled and so we can show them a Savior who's gloriously good. He's a God of justice. Is that not good news? He's always, only, ever against evil. Did you hear that? God is 
always, only, ever against evil. Now, it's evil as he defines it, not evil as we define it, but he is a God of justice. What they're looking for is who he is. He's a God of diversity. He is saving people from every language, custom, culture, and tribe. There, there's no social economic status in the kingdom of God. Is that not great news? Sometimes the Quran will say to me, we can't do this, Pastor. We're just Quran. I said, you are not just Quran. You are brothers and sisters in Christ who have been saved by the living God. Your educational status doesn't matter. Your social economic background doesn't matter. At the foot of the cross, we are all one thing. We are children of the living God. We are sinners coming, begging for bread that our Savior gloriously gives in himself. That's what we do. He is a God who cares about his creation and calls us to. And as for acceptance and fear of being canceled out, when you are adopted as his son or daughter, he'll never let you go. Amen? The very things they're looking for are found right here in the gospel. The very things they're longing for are found in our Savior. And so we show them the glorious gospel, the good news of our Savior. And the hope we have in Christ. In 2016, John Mahaffey and I took my grandfather's funeral. He attended here at West Highland. I loved my grandpa. He was a wonderful man. And John at the committal said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, we think we're in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. And he said, the opposite is true. We are in the land of the dying and we're going to the land of the living West Highland. That is the good news. Share it. That is the hope we have. Let them know. Our Savior is not dead. He's alive. He's not in a tomb. The Father raised him to life again. He reigns now and forevermore. And he's not just who we needed. He's who the world needs in every aspect in place. He's who our children need and our grandchildren need. I don't have grandkids yet, by the way. No one go home and say, Dwayne, Dwayne talked about his grandkids. They're not there yet, okay? He is who our neighbors need and our colleagues at work need. He is who this whole generation coming up who believes they can create themselves need. They need a Savior. His name is Jesus. So for the next 50 years, unless the Lord comes back sooner, may you continue to declare him faithfully, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who grabs a hold of hearts and lives and saves because he loves and delights to do so, who welcomes you in, who won't cancel you out, and who's creating a people from every language and custom and culture and tribe from around the world who will sing to his glorious praise forever and ever and ever. Amen. Will you pray with me? We are thankful, Lord Jesus Christ for your incredible work in our lives and on our behalf. And we're thankful, Lord Jesus Christ, for your accomplished work and shed blood. We thank you, Father, that because your son had never sinned, because he had fulfilled the law perfectly in keeping it, and because he was the fulfillment of every prophecy about the Messiah, we thank you that though he absorbed your wrath on that cross, and died, that three days later, by your power, you raised him to life again, and we thank you that he's alive now and forevermore. We thank you that he not only was the hope for this world, he is the hope for this world. 
And so, God, in this dark day, may you encourage us. Because the gospel remains the same. Our Savior has not changed. He is alive. And the hope that I needed when I trusted you is the hope they need so they can trust you, Jesus. Help us to point them to you, the hope of the world. May you bless this church. I'm so thankful for it. May you cause them to grow together in community so that as you nourish them by your word with each other in fellowship, they would go out into this world and declare the truth of the gospel. And God, the next time I have the privilege of being here again, may I meet so many more people than even those that are here this morning that have come to faith because you've saved them through the ministry of the people sitting here this morning. We ask this in the powerful resurrected name of Jesus Christ the Lord. And God's people said, amen. This has been a blessed morning. Um, I don't know if any of you noticed, but for the first time in two years, the orchestra is back. Thank you, orchestra. Praise God for that. You'll also be happy to know that last Sunday morning, uh, you contributed $53,000 toward our mortgage. That means we've gone down from 971 to, well, you can do the math. <laughs> the numbers are coming down, and that's what we want to see. So thank you for your faithful giving. As you exit the auditorium in a moment, you'll notice we have a number of display tables out there in the foyer. Um, we're calling it our ministry fair. If you want to know more about West Highland, how you can get plugged into various things that are happening here, how you can be involved in serving the Lord, that's what the ministry fair is there for. So uh, there'll be people at those tables, mingle with them, uh, inquire, and I'm sure you'll get good information to help you settle in and feel very much home here at West Highland. So now, go into the world in peace. And go in confidence that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And go with a commitment in your hearts to share that with everyone you come in contact with. And may God the Holy Spirit bless you as you do. Amen.